It's time to get into the swing of Sun Devil Softball. From Tempe, Arizona, this is the Club Farrington Fellas Podcast with your hosts, David and Jude. The Sun Devils are off to their best start since 2016, and we are now off to another episode of Club Farrington Fellas. Welcome in. My name is David Rodish. I'm here with my esteemed colleague, Jude Binkley. Jude, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great, and man, what a way to start the season for the Sun Devil team. 11-1. I think 11 might be their magic number right now. 11-1 and, and ranked number 11. Absolutely, yeah. 11, 11 solid wins for this team so far. A lot of hope going into this next leg of the season. And in today's episode, episode number five, believe it or not, we'll be recapping their past week with the GCU-ASU tournament and the Pac-12 Invitational. They had six games in four days, and that ended their 12-game homestand to start the season. Yeah, so Jude, we were both at the Friday games, starting off against the New Mexico Lobos and then ending the night with their only loss of the season against Oklahoma. So Jude, what did you see that stood out to you on that day? Well, first of all, I think Home Run U is back. Their bats were electric this past week. In the opening game against New Mexico, Matty Hackbarth, Alina Torres, back-to-back home runs. We said 11's the magic number. Between them, they also have 11 home runs. Yes, they do. Six and five. And uh, also Kendra Hackbarth and Jasmine Hill with some home runs in those games. So the bats showed up huge. Lindsey Lopez in that first game against New Mexico pitched five innings, gave up one run. That was the only run of the weekend she gave up as well. Yeah, a really solid day. A lot of a lot of great hitting, especially in that first game. Sundells, of course, now lead the Pac-12 in home runs. Maddie Hackbarth leads the Pac-12 in RBIs. A lot of powerful offense that's really rounding together, like we have come to expect in the Trisha Ford era of Sun Devil softball. Now, Jude, specifically after that first game, that first a 13 to one victory over the Lobos. We got to see Oklahoma, a top-ranked team. I think they're number two in the country still, or are they number one? They're number one now because UCLA went down. Yep, so the number one team in the country was played in Farrington Stadium, and we got to see them up front, up close and personal, and especially pitcher G. Juarez, former Sun Devil, who has just been incredible for the Sooners. But the Sooners, up to that game, the number one offense in softball, I believe they still own that title, and... While the Sooners did win, they won by two in a 5-3 to three game that came down to the final out of the seventh inning. Jude, what can you take away from that game? Well, yeah, this was the game that everyone had circled on their calendars, and man, did that game live up to its expectations. Incredible game, some very interesting storylines. You mentioned G. Juarez, who pitched against Oklahoma in that 2018 Women's College World Series when she was with the Sun Devils, up against Allison Royalty in her third career start. And I think it said a lot in this game that Trisha Ford gave her the ball. Yeah, we talked before the game. We were really kind of seeing what the pitching rotation would be like. We assumed that Allison Royalty would probably start the first of the doubleheaders against New Mexico and then give ASU their top two pitchers, Cielo Meza and Lindsey Lopez, and save them for Oklahoma. But Trisha Ford threw a curveball out of left field, all the analogies you can use in starting Lindsay Lopez in the first game and then not running with Cielo Meza in the second game until the final inning. 
and starting freshman sensation Allison Royalty at pitcher, which is a, a huge vote of confidence for Allison by Ford. And obviously well-deserved. She held the team to two runs through six innings, two or three runs. Uh, it wasn't until the, the dam broke, the, the levee cracked in the seventh inning, that the Oklahoma bats were able to pick up the pace and get to five runs. So she looked incredible. She had a fantastic game, and she kept the Sun Devils in it. So you have to look at this game and really be just excited about the future of the Sun Devils and the, the prospects for this season. Coming into this season as the number 13 team, obviously there are decent expectations, but going up toe-to-toe against the number one team like Oklahoma and making it a very, very close game while starting your freshman pitcher in her third career start, you just have to be extremely impressed by that and, and excited for what's going to happen this season in the future. And there was a situation in that third inning where the bases were juiced. Oklahoma had runners on all three, and Royalty got out of it. Just some great pitching, especially through those first six innings. There's a very interesting moment after that game. The field had cleared, and it was just Coach Ford and Allison Royalty all alone there talking. Ford said after the game that Allison's very hard on herself, and she said, you know, if she had a better seventh inning, they could have won that game. And Ford said that, you know, she knows, but, you know, she's she's young and she's going to have that opportunity again, especially when we get into this Pac-12 schedule. Just a massive vote of confidence from Ford. Ford said the very first week of the season that she was going to baptize royalty by fire and starting her against the now number one team in the country for sure was, was a way to do that. And the badge showed up. I thought there was a moment in the seventh inning when they started to rally. They were down five to one going into that final frame. And yeah, Danae Chapman and Jasmine Hill got hits and RBIs, and it looked like they might come back, but uh, it was a very competitive game, very close. Definitely lived up to the hype. Coach Ford consistently talks about how the Sun Devils are a team that are never out of a game, and that it doesn't matter what score, what situation, what inning, who they're up against. Coach Ford believes in their team and their hitting prowess to get them back in any game, and while eventually they, they did come up short in this one, this is just another great example that being down 5-1 going into the seventh frame, they were able to put in two more runs to close the deficit and make it only a, a two-run game in the end. And going back real quick to just that Allison royalty, Coach Ford is all throughout this season consistently praised Allison for not just her incredible pitching ability, her mental side, her softball IQ, and in that post-game talk that they had in the outfield where Allison was down on herself, they talked and talked about how this is February Allison and March Allison, May Allison, April Allison, May Allison. Those are going to be completely different versions of this pitcher. You're going to see her grow so much. Patricia Ford is known for her pitching. That's her bread and butter. She's developed a lot of great pitchers for the Sun Devils and in her time at Fresno State and even St. Mary's. So we're going to see a much improved Allison royalty going into the future. And I think a game like this is just going to motivate her. And it motivated the entire team. I don't think teams like to focus too much on power rankings. I think every team believes that they should be the number one team for the most part or that they're they're the best team. Um, But you could tell after that game and talking to the players the next day and through the week that that game really meant something to them. That coming up just two runs shy of the number one team while starting a freshman pitcher who played over six innings, 
They can beat anybody. They're good enough to hang with anybody, and they can make some serious noise in Oklahoma City and throughout the rest of the year. And they definitely bounced back from that game. Despite it being a loss on Sunday, Elena Torres said that it really sparked them, really invigorated them. They came back in a great doubleheader performance against Portland State and Iowa State. Portland State 8-0 in a 5-inning run rule. They had 12 hits, 3 home runs in that game. And then Iowa State, who was ranked 25 at the time, they had 16 hits against. Maddie and Alina, another pair of back-to-back home runs. Again, Meza pitched 6, royalty relieved. It was a great showing. The bats were just on fire that day. Two solid wins, two pretty easy wins, and one against a ranked opponent. Like we said, they've definitely carried that momentum throughout the rest of the tournament, having a, a strong day on Saturday against Portland State and Iowa State, run-ruling Portland State, and ending the tournament with a strong win against New Mexico Lobos, 11-3 in a six-inning run rule. This team is, is very confident in themselves, and they they know that they have the ability to make some real damage going forward. And I, I think you're going to see a very motivated, very strong-willed team that thinks that they can really make an impact in the Pac-12 and in Oklahoma City. And I called them Home Run U at the top of the show. That's kind of the nickname that they adopted last season, and that's definitely carried. That game against New Mexico, Alina Torres hit two home runs to Nate Chapman with a great walk-off run rule home run. Just this team hits so well, and they're very, you know, even they're kind of sharing the love with their bats. A lot of players racking up hits, racking up home runs. And that closed out the GCU-ASU tournament, the GCU Purple Classic, and brought us into the Pac-12 Invitational, where they played Utah for the second time this season on March 1st. Maddie Hackbarth with a pair of home runs. She had to answer. We're kind of seeing that home run race again between yes, her and Alina arms Torres. arms race. It's back. Let's go. Absolutely. And it was an 8-2 win, their 8th straight win against Utah. So they're playing well against some early Pac-12 opposition. And we we can't talk about the Pac-12 Invitational and then not talk about what went down outside of Arizona State. So before the season, obviously the Pac-12 is one of the best softball conferences in college. They have a ton of great teams. UCLA was put at number one prior to the season. Washington was number two. Uh, Arizona was number four. Oregon was up there at 10, I believe. Oregon State was also ranked. ASU is, of course, obviously ranked. Washington has lost twice now. UCLA lost to Oregon. And Utah was holding Oregon for a decent amount of the game in their matchup. So, of course, this could just mean that every Pac-12 team is just ridiculously good, which that's probably the more correct answer or the the more feasible one, but maybe the Pac-12 is not as strong or the top-heavy teams that are expected to do well. They have obviously looked good, but they have not had the amount of success you would expect from the one, the two, the the, the four team in, in, the, in the country. So in what seemed like an impossible conference, after that close loss against Oklahoma and the losses of the other Pac-12 teams, Starting to get a sense that, hey, ASU really could maybe actually make a huge push in the Pac-12. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but it, it might be a lot closer than we expected before the season started. And ASU might be in the conversation more than we expected before the season started. What happened at Club Farrington this weekend, both with Arizona State 
and you know, without Arizona State, really showed in the Pac-12 that anyone can win. UCLA last season did not lose a single game. We thought they were kind of untouchable. There were softball writers who said they might be the best softball team of all time and were upset by Oregon, who's still a top 10 team. But no, I think it shows really in the Pac-12, it's wide open. Anyone can win in Arizona State. They've proven to be contenders. And this is, if you're a fan, you know, personally, this is the best I've felt about Arizona State softball all season so far. Absolutely. Even going back to last year, this is this is definitely the peak of the past two years is, is going on right now. And a big part of why you should be excited, not just because of how the Pac-12 is beating itself like the Pac-12 loves to do in, in all sports, loves to demolish itself. One thing that makes it more difficult when playing against other Pac-12 teams is that they know your pitchers. They know what kind of pitches Cielo Meza likes to do. They've seen her for many, many years. They know how she throws. They know her velocity. They know all these different things. Allison Royalty, they have no clue about. They have some film, but they have never had the in-game experience. So with Allison Royalty clearly showing she has the trust and respect of Trisha Ford, that she can handle herself in really tough, close games like she did in Oklahoma, she can be an X factor, a real key, going into further in the season when they play more Pac-12 teams and they're in Pac play and you have three games against UCLA. Allison Royalty is going to get one of those games. That can be an up... If you can get one of the other games, if, if Meza or Lopez can steal one of their games, you can really kind of believe that Allison Royalty might have the best shot at winning because she's played so well thus far, and they just have no film on her at all. And they haven't seen Lindsay Lopez either because of the season being cut short last year. And Lopez, right now, 1.71 ERA. That's the best out of the three pitchers. So she's been performing very well, especially this past weekend with some complete game shutouts. Yeah, Lopez has really added a lot of speed to her pitch. Through the offseason, Trisha Ford said that she that it seemed like she added about three or four miles per hour to her pitch, which doing that in an offseason is, let me tell you, that is a lot of speed to add in, in a couple of months. Lopez, not the best strikeout pitcher on the team, but she is a very smart pitcher who understands the situation and and, and gets out one way or another. You know, it's whether it's it's all strikeouts or no strikeouts, an out is an out. And Sun Devils will definitely take that from their bullpen. And, and Lopez, at least for right now, is, is still the leader of that bullpen, I would say. And finally, before we get on to what's up on deck for the team, just some other names that we haven't mentioned as much in the show. We talked about Maddie and Alina Torres plenty with their home run race going on. But the rest of the Sun Devil bats have been doing great. Kendra Hackbarth's batting 476 with 20 hits. Both of those are second in the Pac-12 Conference. Jasmine Hill right now. 16 RBIs. She's playing well. Maddie batting 471. Just top down in the roster. Their bats have been popping off. You beat me to it. I was going to shout out Jasmine Hill on this podcast. I was looking forward to it. Dang it, Jude. Yeah, Jasmine Hill batting 389. And her batting average getting on base 45% of the time. Ridiculous. She's improved a lot as a batter. I think just because of the polarizing play of Alina Torres and them both being sophomores. Jasmine Hill was not talked about as much as she should have been talked about. She is consistent. She is a fantastic hitter. She's one of the the better pure hitters on the team. She can smack a ball beyond the the outer fence 
very easily. She does it very consistently. She's just a very solid player. I've really come to really appreciate her play, uh, not only in the outfield, but really in the batter's box. She makes a huge impact there that, that does not get talked about enough. Just such an interesting dynamic with this team with you know some great fifth-year players, but then also all of this young leadership with Elena Torres and Jasmine Hill. I think they're in a very good position for years to come, really. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a, a high point in Sun Devil softball. We have a ton of fifth-year senior players who will most likely be moving on after this season. But you still have an incredible foundation with Alina Torres, Jasmine Hill, Lindsay Lopez, Allison Royalty. Brittany Holland has started seven games at, at second base. She has three years of eligibility left counting this year, so two more after this year. So you still get a decent amount of time with her left, the same amount of time as you get with Hill and Torres. So very excited to see the future of this team. You get Kiara Kennedy back next year. Ken Harper has another year left. She has been incredible. She What a slugger she has been this year. Very, very impressive in her ability to, to hit the long ball this year. Just very exciting time to be an Arizona State Sun Devil fan and to watch this Sun Devil softball team. They're, they're very good and they're very exciting for many different reasons. And even some of their prospects, you know, I can't wait to see Christiana Watson take the field next year. It's just, you know, such a good class, a lot of young talent that's going to easily replenish these aging seniors and fifth-year players. Looking ahead on the schedule, though, unless you have anything else to say. I'm good. They'll be taking their first road trip of the year after a 12-game homestand. They'll be heading down to El Paso, Texas for the Orange and Blue Classic at UTEP. It'll be two doubleheaders, one on Friday, one on Saturday. They'll be playing Montana, Incarnate Word, and UTEP. All three of those teams with just a pair of wins so far this season. So on paper, not the toughest opposition. Correct, but last year in their uh, their lone road trip of the game and they played the Mary Nutter Classic, they lost some games that they should have gotten. They obviously lost to UCLA, that was expected. They were really good last year, but still there are one or two games that they, they definitely could and should have won that they let slip in the Mary Nutter Classic. So you're hoping to see in this road trip a little more consistency out of the Sun Devils. We will see if they're able to beat the beat the bad teams. And the only thing worse than than losing to a good team is losing to a bad team, losing to a team that you should beat. And this is a, a schedule where they should beat these teams, Incarnate World, Montana, the Grizz, UTEP. These are teams that you should get. And uh, we'll see if they let the trip to beautiful El Paso, Texas distract them and whether or not they can stay focused and grind through these next uh, next four wins. And regardless of what happens, win or loss, we will be back here to recap those four games on Sunday. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Club Farrington Fellows Podcast. And that's the way it is. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Club Farrington Fellows Podcast. We'll catch you next time for more on Sun Devil Softball.